Now, we all have probably heard that statement, if I trust my life to God, he will send me to Africa. I trusted my life to God, and he didn't send me to Africa. He sent me to Guatemala. <laughs> I can remember our first trip, Steph and I went down with a group called Helps International, and basically what Helps International does is they take these groups of people that are doctors, nurses, medical people, and, and they staff a hospital in Guatemala, and they perform these, these life-saving, these life-saving, improving surgeries and medical procedures for the people of Guatemala that wouldn't be able to get these. And then there's folks like myself that have zero medical ability whatsoever, and I'm part of the non-clinical team. And what we do is we go out and we, we do these, these stoving teams, and essentially what we do is your average Guatemalan home is a cinder brick wall, with a corrugated metal rooftop and a dirt floor. And what they do is they have their campfires on their floor and the smoke fills up the house and it basically cakes the ceiling with this soot and the, and the little kids have these respiratory illnesses and they get embers in the eyes. So we come in and we build these stoves that actually have a chimney and pipe the smoke outside the house. And we set up these water filtration systems and we get to go visit the families and visit the schools and we get to love up on these kids and have these amazing moments with his family and these kids and seeing what God is doing in Guatemala. And God opened the door three times for me to go down to Guatemala, and, and each time was an incredible journey, but it was that fourth time, that fourth time that I went, and I got to experience probably the most intimate time that I've ever had with my Savior and got to witness a woman's life being saved because I had the privilege of being part of a team that delivered an x-ray system uh, the previous trip, and there was a woman that showed up at the hospital, and she had a bump on her chest, and because we had that x-ray system there, they were able to take a picture of this bump and turned out to be a mass. It turned out to be a tumor in her chest, and we just happened to have a surgeon on the team who was able to remove that tumor and prolong this woman's life, and it is such an incredible thing to know you played a small part in saving somebody's life. These trips were incredible adventures, and they were risky. I mean, there were spiders. There were scorpions, there were bed bugs. <laughs> there was drive-by shootings. There were lots of drug dealers in this area. The, one of the hotels that we stayed at, we found out the day before we got there, one of the local drug dealers had been shot the day before. He wasn't just shot. See, in Guatemala, they were fully committed to killing you. They used an RPG. They blew this guy up in the parking lot of the hotel before we got there. But, you know, looking back on these, these risky adventures with God, I would go back again in a heartbeat. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I look back, and I almost missed every single one of those trips, whether it was snowmageddon preventing us from finding a flight out or corrupt customs agents waiting for the wheels to be greased so we could get our equipment across the border. But it was the last time where I almost missed that opportunity to see that woman's life being saved because I was sick. See, the day before we were supposed to leave, I got this really awful fever and like the kind where you have chills and you have like seven different blankets on top of you and you're still shaking and I couldn't keep any food down and I couldn't keep any food in and I'll spare you the details, but I had decided in my mind that I wasn't going to go. See, most people go to Guatemala and get sick. Only a fool would get sick and then go to Guatemala. And I had decided in my mind this was, this was too much. This was a bridge too far. I wasn't going to go. I texted my friend Dave, and I said, Dave, I just, I can't do it, man. I'm not going to go. And my buddy texted me back, and it was, it was so loving. It was so encouraging, and, man, it was a dose of truth, like, right between the eyes. And you know what he said to me? He said, Jake, 
just get on the darn plane and go do the Lord's work. And amen, I stepped on the plane and I didn't miss out on that adventure with God. As a church, we are going through a summer reading series. We're reading a book right now called Good to Great in God's Eyes, written by Pastor Chip Ingram. And it's about these 10 traits, these 10 characteristics that great Christians seem to have in their lives. And this week's chapter is about risk. It's about taking great risks for God. I want to read a quote from our chapter this week. And Pastor Ingram says this, Every Christian's life is marked by windows of opportunity that demand a radical step of faith in order to follow Christ and fulfill his agenda for their life. There's these windows of opportunities that lead to these divine moments, and we miss them, we miss them. I'm so grateful for my friend Dave that sent me that text, Jake, just get on the darn plane. And I took that step. I think we all need people in our lives that encourage us to be better people, to encourage us, to inspire us to be our better selves, do we not? Have you ever met one of those Christians? One of those Christians that seem to not just be believing God, but seem to be experiencing him as well. Their lives seem to be full of joy, full of risk-taking, full of adventure, full of something that I just don't have. My buddy Homero, my buddy Homero was one of those friends that was those Christians. Man, it's been three years, I still miss him. He was one of those Christians. There was just something about his life that just caused me to ask questions and made me feel uncomfortable just being around him. We'd, we'd be at a restaurant, and I just thought we were there to enjoy a meal, and the, the waiter is there delivering dessert, and he's witnessing to him. He's sharing the gospel with this guy over dessert, and the guy just wants to drop off the check and get his tip, and Omera's inviting him to church the next day. I didn't feel comfortable. Or one time he showed up at our small group with a guy that he had just picked up off the street. He was on his way to our small group to my house, and he sees this homeless guy, and he's like, he stops, he gets out of the car, he says, man, God wants you to come to Bible study tonight. He was Brazilian, I can't do the accent. But he puts this guy in a car, he drops him off at our house, at my house, the dude off the street. Thanks, Homero. This is very uncomfortable. Or one time, he was a manager of a store, and I was a manager at the time. I said, Homero, how do you find good people? Like, where, where do you hire these good people? And he thought about it, and he goes, I call my daddy in Brazil, my daddy pray. Dude, that goes against everything I just learned in my MBA. Like, how do you live your life like this? And there's those Christians that we encounter, and it causes us to ask questions. It caused me to ask questions. How do, I, how do I live a life like Homero is living right now? How do I experience that joy? How do I experience God in that way? How do I take a step of faith? How do I go out on a limb and risk with God? I start asking questions in my own, my own life. Is this, is this a personal step that you're inviting me into, God? Is this a relation step that you're inviting me to take a step of faith? Is there, is there a window of opportunity in my career? Is there a dream in my heart that I just haven't pursued yet? Perhaps I'm just afraid. And I look at guys like Homero, and they're making me feel uncomfortable. I'm outside my comfort zone. We know that's how we grow, right, being outside of our comfort zone? Are my questions your questions? Can anybody relate? Has everybody met Homero's in their life and they, they cause you to get outside your comfort, comfort zone, and you start to ask those questions. God, is there a step that you want me to take in my personal life? Is there a step that you want me to take with this relationship or this career? 
Perhaps it's this issue in the world. Are you calling me to something deeper? It makes us leave our comfort zone. And we get this, right? To grow, we have to get out of our comfort zone. In professional, personal growth, we have to get outside our comfort zone. Even things like exercise, we know we have to get out of our comfort zone to grow. And even though walking is free, we feel the need to buy a couple hundred dollar device that we strap to our wrist so that we know if we're in our comfort zone or not. And we get an app on our phone and we, we track our steps and, oh man, only a thousand steps a day, better squeeze in 1,500 tomorrow. We track our steps and we know if we're out of our comfort zone or not. And not only do we track our steps, we track other people's steps. Hey, how's my friend doing here? And we use them as examples and inspiration and accountability. Yeah, we have these questions about our faith and you know where I'm going. Man, I wish we had a faith bit, not just a fit bit, but a faith bit. Can we track our God steps somehow? Can we see the God steps that others are taking? These examples that perhaps we could follow. And if these questions are your questions this morning, how do you move from your comfort zone to your uncomfort zone? How do you grow in your faith? How do you take these risks? Why don't you guys go ahead and open your faith bit to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I think there's a story here that God uses as an example of somebody that takes a step of faith that, that leaves their comfort zone. It's a story we all know. We all know the story of David and Goliath. We've seen the VeggieTales version. We've watched Rudy. We know the little guy wins. We probably could sum it up this way. Giant sword-wielding dude walks on stage. Indiana Jones shoots him. Cut. Yeah, that's part of the story, but that's not the whole story. So for us to see things today, we're going to do it just a little bit different. I'm going to read from the message translation. Just a little bit different type of a, a way to read the story, to read scripture. Uh, I'll probably pull out some underlying parts of the scripture that I want us to focus on. And we might even do some audience participation. But just as a quick refresher, there are two armies about to do battle. There is the army of the Philistines and the army of the Israelites, and they are at war. And they have met at this strategic location, this valley, that will decide the fate of the war. Whoever wins this strategic valley will most likely win the war. And we were expecting to hear a story about two armies doing battle, but then a giant steps into the ring and changes the script of our story. So let's begin our chat today in 1 Samuel. We're going to have some of the scripture on the screen, but feel free to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse 4. A giant, nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line into the open, Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and put him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, then the Philistines will become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand, and kill him, you will all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man. Let us fight it out together. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. 
this part of the story always reminds me why I hate weddings. And it's not, it's not weddings per se. It's not like two people getting married. It's that part in the evening when everybody starts dancing. And I am not a good dancer. And I'm okay when everybody's on the dance floor and you guys have imbibed a few and I can kind of fake it. You know, slow dances are great. I just have to grab stuff and drill a hole in the floor. Or I can kind of watch somebody else that seems to know what they're doing and try to copy. But there's always that part of the night, for some reason, you guys, you make this circle. And one by one, <laughs> those of you that can dance enter this circle exposed by yourself to show off your dance moves. And that is the time of the night that I go looking for cake and sit down. And that's what happened here. This was supposed to be a battle between two armies. And Goliath steps out and invites somebody to his deadly dance card. And collectively, the entire nation of Israel went for cake and grabbed a seat. But the window of opportunity has been opened for the hero to walk on scene. So let's continue our story. And we'll pick this up in verse 16. Now, each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made a speech. And one day, Jesse told David, his son, Take this sack of cracked wheat and these ten loaves of bread and run them down to your brothers in the camp and take these ten wedges of cheese to the captain. Please check in on your brothers. See how they're getting along and let me know how it's going. Saul and your brothers and the Israelites in the war with the Philistines in the valley. We're ready for our hero to walk on stage. Ivan Drago has stepped into the ring and we are expecting Rocky Balboa. Lord Voldemort is calling out Harry Potter. Thanos is ready to do battle with Iron Man. Oh, that was too soon, sorry. We're expecting the champion to battle the champion. And who walks on scene as the hero? The pizza delivery boy. David was a shepherd. He was too young to fight in the army. His, his brothers were already there, and his dad sends him with bread and cheese to go check on how things are going. We want to think that the story of David and Goliath is a story of two champions duking it out, but it's the story of how a pizza delivery boy slayed a giant. And there are lies that we tell ourselves that disqualify ourselves. Well, I don't have that kind of background. Well, I don't dress like that. Well, I can't speak that well. If anybody knew what was really in my closet, we disqualify ourselves. Somebody told me one time, Jake, if God only used perfect people, nothing would get done. Do not disqualify yourself. Please, today, see yourself in this story. This is a you story. If the pizza delivery boy can take out a giant, so can you. Before David can take his God step, there are two tests that he must pass. And they come from unlikely sources. The first is family, friends, people that know him the best. And we pick up our story again in verse 26. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, Who does he think he is, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive? And Eliab, his older brother, Heard David talking with the other men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Macy's brother comes up and says, what are you doing here? I know, I know why you're here. You're here for selfish reasons. You just came here to see us get slaughtered. You know the thing about when you guys create your circle and you all step in the circle and start dancing? 
It reminds me that I'm not in the circle. Yes, fear sets the stage for faith, but faith also exposes others' fear. You stepping outside of your comfort zone means I'm still stuck in mine, and I'm going to invite you back. I'm going to tell you lies to help you disqualify yourself. And if anybody here thinks that taking a God step does not demand taking a God step, that's exactly what it is. You, this is a you story, but it is also a take story. You need to take a God step. Now, David just can't walk out and fight Goliath. Remember what, what, what Goliath put in the pot? He put the keys of the kingdom in the pot, didn't he? It's not just mano y mano. The, the nation is at risk. So David needs to get permission from the king. So let's pick up our story again in verse 31. Saul sends for David. and David needs to give the king his resume now. He says, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go fight this Philistine. And Saul answered David. Now, this is where somebody starts to tell you truths. Saul is going to start telling David truths, not lies, truths. This is, this is real facts. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. He's been, a, he's been in the fighting business since before you were born. This is how David responds. Look, I've been a shepherd, tending sheep for my father, and whenever a lion or bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I'd go after it and knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat and wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same thing to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Now, this is what happens next is so important. David's, David's given his resume, and Saul says, okay, God be with you. God bless you. But hey, let me help you as well. We're going to be surrounded by good-meaning people that want to help us in this faith step. Now, this is so important. I thought it would be nice to visualize this. So we're going to maybe bring somebody up on the screen here that could perhaps be like a modern-day Goliath for us. Okay, Sidney Crosby, captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think he will suffice today as the face of evil. So Sidney Crosby steps on the ice and challenges the Washington Capitals for a champion for the Stanley Cup. Now, if Sidney Crosby says this, who are we, being diehard Washington Capitals fans that we are, knowing that if we had gotten out of the first round this year, we'd have definitely beaten the St. Louis Blues, but we're over that. Who would we send on the ice to challenge Sidney Crosby? Alex Ovechkin. We'd send our captain. But today, we're not going to send out Alex Ovechkin. We have a volunteer from the audience. We're going to send out young Elliot Purrington. Elliot, why don't you go ahead and step out here, buddy? All right. So, Elliot, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is I brought all of my old hockey equipment in here today that I had in hockey, like high school and college. The bad news is I don't think I took it out of the hockey bag for like the last five years. So you may need a shower <laughs> after this or a tetanus shot, one of the two. Now, Saul dresses up David in his armor and his helmet. I got to ask you, church, does this look right to you? Does it, does it look like I've dressed Elliot for success here to take on Sidney Crosby? This doesn't look right, does it? 
Have I helped Elliot? Please hear this, church. Your faith journey is your faith journey. If God has put a Goliath in your path, he has put you in the path of that giant, uniquely you. I've spent too many times on the couch in a therapist's office comparing myself to others, comparing myself to even David until a counselor one time said, Jake, you're not David. You're just Jake. Why don't you go be Jake? Why don't you just go do you? Church, this is your faith journey. This doesn't look right, and it doesn't look right to God when we try to do this. Just be yourself. Be uniquely who God made you. Now, Elliot, I scored my last two goals with this stick, so I'm expecting this back when we're done here, okay? Thanks, buddy. All right, Elliot, good job, man. So David casts off the armor of Saul. He said, I was a shepherd when I took out the lion. I was a shepherd when I took out the bear. And it's going to be a shepherd who enters this ring with Goliath. And he grabs five stones and he gets his slingshot and he enters the ring. In verse 41, as the Philistine paced back and forth, a shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered, I'm here, youngster. The pizza delivery guy, apple cheek and peach fuzzed. And he starts to ridicule David. Am I a dog that you would come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. David answers him. You come at me with sword and spear and battle axe, but I come at you in the name of the God of the angel armies. For the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock this very day, God is handing you over to me. And he continues on during this epic smack talk. The whole earth will know that there is an extraordinary God in Israel. That roused the Philistine and he started toward David. David took off from the front line, running towards the Philistine. David reached in his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed down in the dirt. Here's a question, church. Was David the hero of this story? I think if we asked Abram when he took his God step into that unknown country, or if we asked Moses when he took his God step into the Red Sea, if we asked Peter when he took his God step out of the boat, I think they'd all give us the same answer as David. If David was here today and we said, David, were you the hero of your story? He'd say, no. In fact, I told you up front, before I even took that step, who the hero was. If you remember back into the story when he was talking to the army, trying to find out who this Philistine was, remember his question? Who is this Philistine that mocks the army of Israel? That mocks the army of Saul? No, who's this guy that mocks the army of God? God alive. When he's talking to Saul and giving his resume, he says, it's God who delivered me from the lion and the bear, and it is God who will deliver me from this Philistine. And during his smack talk with Goliath, he said, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you with the God of angel armies. It is today that people will know that there is a great God in Israel. 
This was not David reaching the end zone and pointing up to heaven. This was not him making God a mascot in his own mission. No, he had declared up front that God was going to be the hero. And David took his God step and a giant fell. He took a risk. I'm sure there was other people in that army that knew how to fire a slingshot, but David was the one that entered the ring. And yes, he got the princess, and yes, he became king, but God was the hero. This is a you story. This is a take story. This is your story, and this is a God story. So what do we do with this now? This was our example we had hoped to listen to a story today as an example, and we, we wanted to get outside of our comfort zone. So what do we do with this now? How about you this morning? You feel God pressing on you to enter a story like this. You feel God asking you to take a God step. We think back to those questions, those uncomfortable questions. Is there... Is there a window of opportunity open in your life right now to, to take a risk, to go out on a limb with God? Is it something relationally? Maybe there's, maybe there's a relationship here today that's just on the ropes. Maybe there's a marriage that's on the brink, and God is inviting you today to enter that window of opportunity and just take a God step back to your spouse. Maybe it's more personal. Maybe, maybe somebody here today is just... There is an addiction just gripping your personal life, and God is inviting you today to take a God step towards your freedom. Maybe there's a career choice ahead, and there's a dream in your heart that know, you know God has put there, and he's inviting you to take a God step today into that window of opportunity to pursue, pursue your dream. Does that have something to do with church? Maybe, maybe God is inviting you to lead a small group or go on a mission trip, maybe to Guatemala or Africa. Is there a risk that God is inviting you to take a God step into? Is it, a, is it an issue in our society, perhaps? Has anybody here had a Popeye moment where you just stands all you can stands and you can't stands no more? And God has just put something on your heart and you're wondering, can I be that one to step up and tackle that issue? Is God inviting you into a window of opportunity this morning to tackle a giant? It was an interesting thing about God's steps. David took his God step, and yes, a giant fell, but the rest of the story is a nation was saved that day. David took his God step, and the rest of the Israelite army saw that step of faith, and they were roused, and they took on the Philistines and won. I think God steps have this tendency when we take them to not just awaken the faith in ourselves, but awaken the faith in those around us. When we take those God steps, they send this shock wave, this ripple effect. And could you imagine if anybody here today was open, was willing to take their God step, if it would impact the rest of us, and we could be a church of God steppers. I mean, we live in a land of giants, do we not? We couldn't help but walk in the halls this morning and, and see the artwork from the students here trying to drive awareness for the Opioid crisis, this epidemic, the worst epidemic our country has seen in 100 years. And could you imagine if we were a church of God-steppers that would step up to fight that giant and maybe no more sons and daughters would die from overdoses? We live in a land of giants. Could you, 
Could you imagine a church of God-steppers stepping up to face slavery? It's 2019, and slavery is still a thing. As we speak here today, there are, being, there are kids that are being ripped from their families and being sold into trafficking. Could we be a church of God-steppers that takes on that giant and rescues thousands upon thousands of children? We live in a land of giants that have the names of hunger and poverty and corruption and greed. There are bullies on the playgrounds and guns in our schools, and I don't have the answer to those, but I bet you God has put a giant slayer in our midst. I wonder if somebody today would be willing to step up and be the first one to start this church of God-steppers. Perhaps that's why Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven advances forcefully, and forceful people lay hold of it. Translation, can you imagine Robert the Bruce and Braveheart turning to his fellow Scotsman, you braved with Wallace, now brave with me. There's so many heroes of faith, including the gospel writers, that echo that same sentiment. We braved with Jesus, now brave with us. If anybody's looking for a takeaway today, I know this is going to be pretty obvious, but you take your God step. This is a you story. This is a take story. This is your faith story, and God is the hero. You take your God step. I would love to just send us all out to change the world, but last five minutes here, I think it's probably appropriate to do a quick Q&A because there's a question, right? I'm not so naive to think that everybody's just going to buy this. So I'll go ahead and ask the question. What if I fail? Can you guarantee my safety? That's a valid question. You know, 20 years ago, I had to take a very different kind of God step. I'd been invited to a Christian young adult retreat. Honestly, I didn't hear young adult retreat. I heard sleepover with girls, and I went. And no sooner did I pull in the parking lot that I got a voicemail from some friends. Some old college buddies just happened to be in Annapolis that night, going downtown to do partying and drinking. I had a choice to make. Do I get back in the car? Do I step back in that car? Do I step into that retreat? By God's grace, I stepped in the retreat. You know who I met there? I met the God of the universe who stepped out of the safety of heaven and into human history and took a risk as a baby. And the giants he faced were of a Roman empire and a corrupt religious system. When that angry mob approached him, he stepped up and said, I am he. And as he was carted off, abandoned by his friends and rejected by his followers, hung on a cross, tortured and suffering to death in front of his mother, suffering the worst failure, the worst defeat in all of human history until he stepped out of the grave. Like so many of us here today, he stepped into my heart, stepped into our hearts. Jesus took the worst failure in all of human history and flipped it on its head. He took out the real giants. He took that worst failure in all of human history and used it to cover all failures, all of our failures for all time. It's a valid question. Am I going to be safe? What if I fail? Church, I think sometimes we need a wake-up call that we were born into enemy territory, that we live in an invisible war between unseen kingdoms. There are just too many 
heroes of faith throughout Scripture that took their God step, and they were deemed not worthy of this world. There are many of our brothers and sisters today, just by the fact that they have stepped in the church, they have signed their death warrant. What if I fail? Is it going to be safe? Our God is not safe. So why in the world would you take a God step? Why would I risk with Jesus? It's actually a pretty simple answer. It's the same reason that he endured the cross. Joy. Joy. My daughter Ellie is learning how to swim for the last two years. She's been scared to death of going underwater, and she's you know, kind of like in the last two weeks decides she's just going to dip her nose in and try things out, and then she kind of like bobs her eyes in and pulls right back out, and then all of a sudden it's like a light switch. She just started dunking, and now she wants to wear her goggles and go back to the pool every day, and it's like this whole other universe has opened up to her. I know any moment now she's going to want to step up to the side of that pool and take a leap and learn how to dive in. You know who's going to be there? whole step of the way. Yeah. Ellie's loving father is going to be in that pool with his arms open wide to catch his daughter when she takes that leap. Why do we take these risks? Why do we take these God steps? For joy. And church, I can't promise you this morning that if you take a God step that, humanly speaking, it's going to end in victory or defeat. But I can promise you When you take that step, there will be a loving father with arms outstretched wide, ready to catch you whichever side of heaven you land on. Joy. Just joy. If any of this has spoken to you today and you're considering trusting God with your life or trusting God with how you live your life, my encouragement to you today would be to take your God step. You take your God step. We usually close our services with that. Center Point Church, we exist to bring people back to God, and today we hope you're one step closer. But this week, today even, take your God step. Be one step closer to a loving Father. You take your God step, church. Take your God step for the blessing of your life, for the benefit of those around you, for the joy of knowing the Father. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be God-steppers, that we would, we would see you, that we would know that you are the God who took a risk to visit us and show us how to live our lives. You died so that we don't have to fear death anymore. Lord, there are giants all over this land, and there was no plan B. You sent your church. I think some of us ask, why are there so many bad things happening in this world? And how can God let so many bad things happen in this world? And maybe the right response is, well, I sent my sons. I sent my daughters. They just need to step out in faith. See what I can do. You're the hero, Lord. I pray that you would just give us courage. It's not fear so much failure or humility or even death, but fear missing out on you and what you might do for our life. We love you, Lord, and we can't wait to see your face.
We pray on that day we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.